Amen. Please go ahead and have a seat. Take your Bibles. Go to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. So um, while you're turning there, just, we'll laugh a little together. You know, at least I'll laugh. That tends to be how this goes most of the time. I laugh at my own jokes. You all look at me like, um, at least that's the way my kids treat me. <laughs> um, anyway, so this morning when I came in, it was still dark. And when I got here, I did the video for our devotional for Proverbs 22, and I made a joke. I don't know if any of you watched that video yet. Um, I was talking about this fantastic verse in Proverbs chapter 22 that says, the lazy person in verse 13 says, the lazy person says, there's a lion outside, I'll be killed in the public square, and how he uses as many excuses as he can to not do what he should do. And as I was talking about, I'm like, like, you know, some people will use the rain as an excuse for not coming to church. And then the sun came up. And we looked at the bottom of the hill, and I know when you got here, it wasn't so bad. Um, my little Plymouth vibe needed to swim to get across it. Um, so I just thought that was interesting. But praise God, it has cleared up. Uh, we were a little worried. And actually, we, we could, should continue to be praying. Um, this is the beginning of, actually, we're supposed to have a week filled with rain. Um, and if we're already this backed up, it's going to get ugly by the end of the week. And Union Bridge is pretty backed up. And so we need to keep our eyes open, ears open for ways we can serve our community. So let me encourage you in that. Um, we'll keep you posted if we hear of anything, and uh, we'll go from there. So it um, doesn't surprise me that I got lost in a little bit of an introduction because this is a daunting task to approach this morning in Proverbs 22. Um, the verse that I am looking at is Proverbs 22, verse 6. We're going to go over that together, the very familiar parenting verse. Um, let me give you a little heads up. By the time we're done together, um, we are going to spend some time, you're going to spend some time, Praying for your kids. That doesn't just mean parents. That means grandparents. That means, but I don't have kids, then you're going to pray for kids that you know. Uh, we're going to spend an extended period of time praying for our kids. I want to give you that heads up a, a little bit. And, and let me be clear, I don't, I don't just mean for uh, parents who have little ones at home. Um, I've crossed over now. I think my most heartfelt prayers are now. And when I've got a couple of them who are out in the world and on their own, not when they were toddlers. I mean, you pray for them when they're toddlers, but they're, they're, they're cute then. <laughs> That's what you pray for them. Now they're just dangerous. So we want to spend some time praying, I'll admit up front. Speaking on parenting gives me huge pause. Um, because I don't know how my kids are going to turn out. I mean, I don't know how old I need to be in order to know how they turned out. I just know I'm not there yet. Um, so please, as, as I'm walking through this, don't hear this as me being an authority on the subject. I am far from. I've got four kids, and I'm not talking about them. And I'm not talking about myself as a dad or Stephanie as a mom. The authority is God's. And so what I'm going to dive into this morning is his word, and we're going to wrestle with it, and you have to wrestle with it. Um, I've spent more time wrestling with it this week than I expected, um, but it's good. And so let's look at Proverbs chapter 22, 6. I'm going to put the English Standard Version up in front of you because it's probably the most traditional type of translation of this verse, and I don't want to confuse the situation uh, quite yet. I'll confuse it a little later, Okay. Proverbs 22.6 in the English Standard Version, in the King James Version, and actually the New American Standard Bible is similar to this, says this, train up a child 
in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So let, let's, let's walk through this together. I'm going to kind of do a teaching time and then a preaching time. So let me teach for just a few minutes on, on some definitions and things that we need to understand about this verse. So, so starting with the command. The command is right away, right at the beginning. It's train up a child. So the command is to train. That word means to start, to cultivate, to initiate we actually get this word um, in the Hebrew, the, the root word is from the, the word that means the palate of the mouth. And the reason that is, is because moms back in the day when, when this was written, moms would take, it was actually dates, the, the, and they would take a date and they would crush it up into a paste, and then they would rub it on the palate of their child's mouth to help develop a, a taste for that food. And so they would continue to, to mush it up and, and jam it in their mouth and get them to, to taste it so that they would develop a, a, just a, a flavor in their mouth. They would enjoy it. And then it would lead them to actually eating solid foods. For us, we would look at it as, as our infants. Your infant doesn't know how to eat. And so what you need to do as a parent is you need to bring them milk. You don't, you don't expect your infant to, to bounce out of the crib first thing in the morning, roll down in the breakfast, and make himself a big old bowl of Fruityos. And you've you got to take the food to the infant. Now, that being said, that's just the beginning of the process because by the time they're 12, if you're still bringing them milk in bed, you've got a problem, okay? So the idea of starting and cultivating, initiating this is to, to train this child in such a way that, that, that they are able to provide for themselves later in order to fulfill that appetite. So that's the command. The command is to train them, to start them, to initiate this in them. The target. In the English Standard Version, the word is the child. Um, in, in other versions, it translates it literally the youth. There's really, as you look at how that word is used throughout the Old Testament, there's no specific age uh, for that word. It, it's used of small children, Older children, teenage children, it's actually used of Joseph in his mid to late 20s. But the point is this, though, with this word. There's a, a level of immaturity that remains in the person, and there's still opportunity for influence from the parents. Okay, so there's a level of immaturity in the person, and there's still a level of opportunity for influence from the parents. So you command, train, and the target, you're training up the child. Let me go jump to the principle. Um, and it's interesting is the principle is what makes us most uncomfortable. The principle is, is, is what is most talked about or, quite honestly, most often ignored. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but I want to jump in, make us all uncomfortable, and then go from there because that's always fun. Um, the principle is when he's old, he'll not depart from it. So let me, let me step out, extrapolate the principle, and then kind of go into the specifics. The principle is that, that uh, basically this, we forget at times that it's not just our responsibility as parents to take care of them when they're little kids. We forget that what we're doing with them when they're little kids is preparing them to be adults. And so as a parent of a young child, let me encourage you, you're not raising children, you're raising people. 
So you need to keep that in mind. You have a profound influence on where your kid ends up in life way down the road, long past the time that they have moved out of the house, they're paying their own bills, Lord willing, and they're, they're married and all those things. You have a profound influence on where they end up. And what this verse says is if you train them, they will not depart from it when they're old. That's brought a level of uncomfortableness to many of us. Um, As stated, if you were to just jump into this verse all by itself and ignore everything else around it, as stated, that's a promise. And that's where it's like, uh uh-oh. So if I train up my kid in the way to go, he'll never depart from it. I have seen where my kid has gone. Uh Uh-oh. And so as stated, it's a promise. He's not going to turn Period. Now, here's the problem. You can't take an individual verse out of context. So what we normally do in Scripture, in the study of Scripture, is you would look at the verses before and the verses after. Here's the problem. We're in the book of Proverbs. There is no context to this verse. Proverbs chapter 22 says, there's thor- uh, verse 5, the verse before, there's thorns and snares on the way of the crooked. The one who guards himself stays far from them. Helpful, isn't it? Verse 7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Amen? I mean, fantastic, but that doesn't help us in our current discussion, does it? It actually becomes a problem. And so what you need to do is take the greater scope of the book of Proverbs and understand the way that this book has been written, the intent of the book, and the philosophy behind the writing of the book. And so what Solomon is doing is he is writing out principles that are generally accurate in living a wise way of life. So, for example, another one that actually makes all of a sudden, there's this awesome proverb, and I don't know the reference off the top of my head. Sorry. A soft answer turns away wrath. As stated, it's exactly the same here. As stated, it's a promise. Have you ever been in an argument and decided, I don't want to be in this argument, I'm just going to talk kindly? I'm going to give a soft answer. That always removes wrath, doesn't it? Absolutely not. Taken as the, the greater scope of the book of Proverbs, you, you come to understand that this is a, a principle. But that being said, and I'm going to deal with that very specifically um, in, in just a moment, but, but that being said, that the, the reality of this principle is while your best efforts cannot guarantee the salvation and wise living of your children when they grow old, your example and put them in a position where it's easier for them to make that decision. Or your bad example can be a great hindrance to the work of the gospel in their hearts. That's the principle. That wasn't even the difficult part. The difficult part comes next. The direction. So you've got the command. I want you to train them up. The target, train up that child, the principle. But when you train up the child, when he's old, he's not going to depart from it. Okay, and now he says, now I'm going to explain the the training up. I'm going to train up how I want you to, to train this child. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That's fantastic. It's a problem. Um, English Standard Version is a very literal version, much like the old King James. It looks at the Hebrew, translates it literally. So you look at this, you'd be like, okay, that's literally what it says. Here, here's the, 
The difficulty is when you open another very literal translation, and probably the best, and I'll be honest with you, the, probably the best translation, if you're going to do an in-depth Bible study and use an English translation, you're probably going to use the New American Standard Bible. Okay? And it says this, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Frank, I'm failing to see a difference here. And actually, if you go back and forth, you're right, maybe I've lost my mind. What's going on? They seem the same, right? There's the ESV, here's the New American Standard, train up a child. But there's, there's one noticeable exception that gives us a hint that something else is going on. There's this number one in the middle of the verse. And it's not because I have fat fingers and I accidentally like, typed the wrong thing, okay? If you have a New American Standard, you're going to find a number one, maybe a letter A in that position. That's telling you that there's a note. And the translators of the New American Standard, trying to maintain the literalness of their translation, put as many notes in as they can to help you understand what's actually going on behind the scenes. So what's actually going on behind the scenes? Well, the note says this, literally, according to his way. Train up a child according to his way. And even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. So um, this, is, this is probably a, a better translation English-wise. Start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he'll not depart from it. <laughs> Hold on. It's missing a piece, isn't it? Train up a child how? In the way he should go. Wait a minute. Why is that not there? Because it's not actually in the Hebrew. Um, that's not an abnormal thing. The old King James used to do the italics when they would add words. Um, here's a literal translation. It's this, you'll understand why you have to add words every once in a while when you're trying to make an English translation. Here's a literal translation. Proverbs 22.6. Start a youth according to the way of him, even should he grow old, not will depart he from it. Go ahead, commit that one to memory. And so what translators have to do is they have to wrestle with these things and try to decide, so what's the best way to communicate the literalness of the, the text along with a under, level of understandability so you and I aren't sitting there like, Next verse, please. Um, so, so what's happening here? So, so here's, here's the question. Um, let me go to this one. Start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he'll not depart from it. So the wrestling point is this. Who is his? Who is his? And so what the King James did back in the day and most modern translations, what they did is they read that his as God's way. So let's start a youth out on God's way. And so in order to clarify that, and rightly so, I mean, if that's their interpretation of the verse, they did the exact right thing. Start a youth out on God's way. So they put, start a youth out on his way, on the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. So let's talk about that for a minute. What does it mean to start a child out on God's way? It means the patterns and principles of godly wisdom are being sown into your child day in and day out as mom and dad. That means every opportunity you get to lay out the facts of the gospel, to lay out the truth about righteousness and integrity and justice, to lay out what it means to, to have the fear of the Lord. Remember, we've talked about the fear of the Lord a number of times. It's, it's not just, oh, I like the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a terror of who he is in his holiness, knowing that within him is the power and the ability to speak everything into existence that didn't exist before. He's got omnipotence and strength. He's got the, the wrath that he's going to pour out on all humanity because we have continued to rebel against God and to choose our own ways. It's, it's sowing into your, the lives of your children the fact that they are sinners. 
you already thinking about your kids. It's reminding them that it's truth. That from the moment they took their first breath, they were sinners and separated from God, and they were rebelling against God. They were continuing to reject His way in order to, to, to live their own way. But God loved us. And as we sang in that last song, the, that chasm that was so far between us, that separated us to be so far apart from each other, God in His holiness and me in my sin, God sent Jesus Christ to bridge that gap. And God showed up for me. And even though I was a sinner, he died for me. And he did for me what, what, what I couldn't do for myself, which was to accept the judgment and the full wrath of God on himself so I could stand before God in peace. What does it mean to train up a child in the way he should go? To train up a child in God's way? It means to use every opportunity to parent our children and remind them of the most important truth that's out there. Your acceptance in God's eyes does not have to do with your good behavior. Your acceptance in God's eyes has to do with Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And if you've accepted that as payment for your sins, then you stand before God forgiven, justified, and at peace. Your good behavior, that's a demonstration that you understand how good God is. Your good behavior is a demonstration that you understand that God has told mommy and daddy that we must instruct you and you must obey. And when you obey, not only does it make mom and dad's heart happy, it makes God's heart happy because what you're saying is, God, you first, then my way. That's what it means to start a youth out on God's way. It's a challenge to parents to be continuing Continually planting good seed. <laughs> That's the way we all understand that verse, right? The way we've all been taught that verse. The problem is, start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he'll not depart from it. Who is his? The kids. While we can take this verse to mean train up a child in God's way and let's make sure we're sowing good seeds, because that's a wonderful principle, I would argue that this is the wrong verse for that. See, what this verse is saying, no, what you need to do is you start your child out on his own way. Now, hold on a second. Why in the world would Solomon today start a kid off on his own way? What's a kid's way? What's a, what's a kid's way? I mean, it's a mess, isn't it? Proverbs tells us, Proverbs tells us that foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Proverbs tells us in chapter 29 that a, the youth left to himself is a shame and a disgrace to his mother. Proverbs uh, chapter 14 tells us that, that each one of us continues to pursue this way that seems right to us, but in the end, it's death. So why in the world would Solomon say, start your kid out on his own way? Start your kid out like a fool. Let him live the fool's life. Why would Solomon even think about saying that? It's called sarcasm. It's the most beautiful love language that exists today. See, Solomon's gotten to this point, and what he said is saying is this. You, you go ahead. You let your kid do what he wants. 
You start them on that path of life. You let them be those self-centered little minions that they may be. You do that, and they'll grow up with absolutely no self-control. They'll grow up with stubbornness and a selfishness, and they will not be able to break that pattern. Go ahead. That makes the, the, the phrase at the end, when he grows old, he'll not depart from it, easier to understand, doesn't it? I would argue that Proverbs 22.6 is this. It's a warning to parents that they had better beware. They had better be correcting their child's sinful patterns of selfishness or they're setting their child up for failure in the future. Go ahead. You let your kid get whatever they want. You let them determine your schedule. You let them tell you what they'll eat and what they won't eat. You let them tell you what time they're going to bed. You let them tell you what phone they want. The kids are going to hate me after this one. <laughs> Go ahead. You, you let your kids determine all that. You, and then, then you make sure you make your child the very center of everything you do. You worship at their altar. And when they're old and get into the real life and realize nobody else worships them, they will crash and burn. Go ahead. So when we take this verse at its face value, we have some conflicts that arise in our soul, right? Because we all know parents who are really good parents, who have kids who really aren't so good. And we scratch our heads and say, well, wait, wait, then... If God's making this promise, either way, if God's saying, you train them up in God's ways, and when they're old, they're never going to depart from God. But we, we've seen parents drag their kids to church every time and, and teach them and disciple them and send them to Christian school and to camp and to youth group and to Young Life and Youth for Christ and FCA, and yet they're rebelling against God himself. Or, or you take the other side of it. and you, you, I've seen parents who are like, no, I am not giving in to my kid. I am not giving in to my kid. I'm not giving in to my kid. And yet that kid still ends up this selfish monster when they grow older. So what is that all about, Frank? Let me, let me go with the biggest elephant in the room first. I know that you look at some parents and think, man, they were the greatest parents ever. How could this have possibly happened? If you are a perfect parent, raise your hand. If you raise your hand, you're a liar. That makes you not a perfect parent. So there you go. <laughs> there isn't one. There isn't one. And I, and I said it in joking last week, but I, it's, it's serious. Every single one of us as a parent is going to screw up our child in one way or another. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of how much. It's, that's reality, folks. And the problem is you and I can look at parents and be like, oh, they're the perfect parent. You are not in their home. You can't say that. Every parent to some level is inconsistent in their parenting. Every parent. Whether that mean um, we're inconsistent with what we're teaching, or we're inconsistent with how we're living, 
or we're just inconsistent from one child to another. That's particularly true when you, you have a, a, a large span of children in your, of age group in your, um, in your home, because what you did with your older kids, by the time you get to the younger ones, you're just tired. They're like, whatever. So, but that's reality. And so, so things change. And, but the, the reality is this, okay? So if, if you were given the perfect recipe that 100 people had reproduced over and over again and turned out with the most amazing cake ever, and you're given that recipe and you sit down and you follow it to a T, literally every ingredient is put in and every temperature is exactly right and the time exactly right. And you do all those things and put it in and pull it out and you're going to end up with the exact same cake. But you mess with one ingredient. Changes everything. I think maybe the greater conflict for us is this. I, I know, and this, this is the cry of our hearts, I I truly love Jesus. My kids are so far from him right now. Um, Being a God-fearer, wanting to please him, loving Jesus in all you do does not make you a great parent. It also doesn't guarantee your kids won't rebel against you. Think of the prophet Samuel. And that, that, that guy just constantly spewing truth over and over again in some of the most difficult situations, just sticking to his guns and representing God with everything he said, and yet his sons, Joel and Abijah, in 1 Samuel 8, were told that they, they turned their back on the way that Samuel had lived, and instead they, they took bribes from people because they found that more attractive and appealing. What did Samuel do to deserve that? Or, or David, and we know David had his foibles, but David, David was a man after God's own heart. He's got a son named Absalom who goes and sits at the city gate so that when people would come in to talk to the, the king to have him judge their cases, Absalom would be interfering with them and saying, oh, you know, if I heard your case, this is how I would judge, trying to gather a crowd to follow him. And he does, and he throws a rebellion against his dad. What, what did David do as a dad? The reality is that you as a parent can influence your child like no one else can, but they must be the ones who make their decision to follow Christ. And so your job as a parent is to continually put them in situations where that opportunity arises. If you want your, and, and this is crazy, we get this principle in every other area of life, but we just we stumble over it here. If you want your child to go to a D1 school with a, with a full football scholarship, then you are going to put your child in every camp known to man to learn the, the football skills they need to learn in order to achieve that Division I scholarship. It's, it's, a, it's a no-brainer. You have to do that. Very few, if any, Football stars in the NFL or, or Division I players have ever gotten to Division I by just showing up in August for two days at high school, played through October or November, and then didn't get back at it again until the next August. That doesn't happen. You need the camps. And so parents, you continue to put them in the situations. If you want your child to follow Jesus, why aren't you putting them in situations where it's going to make it easier for them to hear about him and to follow him? Uh, this is hard because there, the, when you talk about this, there's really two camps that exist. The, and, and, and I'll just you know, I'll lay them right out there. The first one is 
man, I look at my child, it is all my fault. And and, and to you, I'm going to go further, but to you I would say, no, it's not. Your child bears responsibility for their soul. But the second camp is, it's not my fault at all. And to you, I would say, repent. I mean it. Man, evaluate your parenting. Stop. But do an evaluation. Look at the fruit that you're seeing in your child. It's like, I mean, it's so basic farming. You walk out after planting a seed in your backyard. You go out and look, and you have an orange tree where the seed once was. I wonder what happened. Oh, the seed grew. Now it's an orange tree. It'd be a little weird to have an orange tree around, but you know, okay, get the point. So there's an orange tree. If you want apples, you better start planting different seed. Because what you're putting in the ground is getting you oranges. So evaluate your parenting. Listen to your spouse. Listen to the people God's placed in your life. To scream it's not your fault is to demonstrate that you are, in fact, a large part of the problem. Own it. Own it. I don't, I don't care if your kids are still living in the house or if they've been out of the house for the last 30 years. When you come to the realization that you have sinned against your children by not parenting well, own it with them. Sit down with seven-year-old Johnny and say, listen, Johnny, daddy has not been doing what he should do when it comes to leading you into the way of Jesus Christ. I have sinned against you by being selfish as your dad, and I need you to forgive me. You want to position your child in such a way where they are lined up underneath the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, then that is step one, friends. If your kid's 45 years old and you're sitting and you're like, oh, I really messed that up, don't let it go unsaid. Repent. Seek forgiveness. Own it. With younger kids, change the way you're parenting. And, and a lot of our parenting isn't just um, direct parenting, like here, I'm going to parent, I'm going to parent. But a lot of it is just the way you live and demonstrate your life in front of your kids. So, so you need to change the way you parent. You, you, you cannot, and we all try to do it, you cannot delegate the hard conversations that you need to have with your kids to teachers or worse, to other kids. Mom and dad, that's your job. Step up. You, you, you can't delegate the discipleship of your kids to Young Life or to Youth for Christ or FCA or Youth Group or Vacation Bible School or a pastor or even church. That's your job. You need to discipline your kids. One of the... <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't want to make it about my family, but this is an illustration of it. Well, my, my wife and I would teach a parenting class, and sometimes in the middle of it, we're like, oh, we've let discipline go. And so we would try to practice what we preach. We'd go home, we'd sit down with our kids, we're like, listen, mommy and daddy haven't disciplined you the way we should. There was never a, yay! Um, <laughs> there was always like, oh, no. Um, <laughs> you, you have to discipline your kids. Um, it is not cute. I don't care what you think. It is not cute when your three-year-old throws a tantrum. It's rebellion. It is not cute. And worse than that, if you don't discipline that, if you don't correct that, if you don't fix that, then at 19, that tantrum is going to be ugly. 
You need to watch the way you live in front of your children. You can't complain or whine or gripe about church, about the leaders at church, about other believers without it affecting the way your kids view those people and and how your kids are going to view other people who fill those roles in the future in their life. Watch how you live. You can't work 140 hours a week and have no time for your spouse or your kids and expect them to value family time and relationships in their life. That's on you. Repent. You can't, and this came up, and I'm sorry, it comes up all the time this time of year, just just hearing stories about these stupid television programs, Bachelor and Bachelorette. And I joke about it sometimes. I'm not joking right now, so I gotta be careful and not react in anger. You cannot watch pornographic television shows and expect your children to grow up with a biblical sexual ethic. Shame on you. Uh, just, just let the fire burn in your house and make sure it'll be fine. Shame on you. Take it seriously. Go, go no, no, go ahead. You just let your kid do whatever they want. And when they're old, they'll never escape from it. Okay, so Frank, you've got the bad news down pretty good. <laughs> Can we go the other way for a second? Absolutely. Here you go. You ready? Here's the good news. Act like a farmer. You do what is right. You take that seed. You throw it in the ground. You nourish it. You, ironically, you water it. (laughs) And then you pray that God will bring a good yield. Because, Because not every seed blossoms into this amazing crop. You pray that God will bring a good yield. And then you hope in God. He's the one that brings the increase, isn't he? He's the one that brings the increase. So so plant and and be the best parent you can with with what you have. That means, that includes humility. It includes seeking forgiveness when when you aren't humble like you should be, when you're not parenting like you should. And then you entrust your child to God. He's more for your child than you'll ever be. His word is not impotent, and it will never come back empty. I know there's heartache. I know there's frustration sometimes as parents. You sow good seed, then you hope in God. I warned you at the onset that we're going to spend some time praying. And so what I would like is right where you are, if if families are together, then put your hands on those kids and pray for them. Put your hands on your kids and pray for them. Pray for them. Not put your hands on your kids, okay? Put your hands on your kids and pray for them. Um, <laughs> gotta be careful. You never know. It's the end of the service. Things get a little gnarly at this point. Um, put your hands on your kids and pray for them. Moms, dads, pray together. Pray for your grown children. If you don't have children, you know some children who need to be prayed for right now, don't you? So would you pray? You can pray by yourself. Pray together. I'm, I'm going to give you three, four minutes to pray. So would you do that? Would you bow your heads and would you pray for our kids? I'll close us out here and just a couple of minutes. Father, I thank you for the privilege it is to be a parent. Lord, it's not calling that you've given to everybody, but to those of us that you've given it to, I thank you for it, and I pray that we would serve you well as we try to lead our young people. Father, I ask that you would save those who need to be saved, that you would return those who need to be returned. I pray as moms and dads, we'd be humble. 
that we would cling to you. We would thank you for the gift that is our children. And Father, that you would just heal the wounds of our hearts for those who are either no longer with us or who have rebelled against us. Lord, help us to pursue peace uh, with our children. And now, God, as we transition a little bit and bring these children up here, God, I pray that you would just encourage our hearts with the reminder that when we sow seeds of the gospel, our kids are exposed to things just like this. Father, we thank you for this church that's put such a high priority on, on, on our children. May we continue to do so. May we reach them while they're young. For it's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen.